Uh, today is a fiery day because it's Pentecost, and today's the day that we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that lit the church on fire. God would literally take 120 people, fill them with the Spirit. That day, by that evening, 3,000 people would join the very first church. Within a day or two, there would be 5,000 people, all because of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The early church was a mega church. It just wasn't run like maybe modern day mega churches. I don't know. But what I do want you to know is that God multiplied the church radically and massively in a rapid way. And it was all because of the Holy Spirit being poured out, a promise from heaven that impacted their lives in such a way that they would never, ever, 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 ever be the same. And that's the same thing that happened to me. So I wanna start out by telling you a little bit of my story. I was sitting in a jail cell in Ohio. I'd gotten busted for drugs. And when I went to jail, all I had was my Bible. Now, prior to that, I would get high morning and night so that I could sleep. I was always getting high. And here I am sitting in a jail cell with nothing but my Bible. So I started reading it and it would help me sleep. If you want to fall asleep fast at night, just read your Bible. And the truth is, it's way better than the news and your social media and anything else. It's the best way to fall asleep. And so the word of God going into you as the last thing of your day is so important. And I would just start reading my Bible. I'd doze off and my, I found that my sleep actually got a thousand times better because I was reading the word every night. Shortly after that, I fully surrendered my entire life to the Lord and I really flamed on but that only lasted for me for a little while. I found after a couple months that that fire and that passion began to wane. I kind of liken, liken it to climbing a mountain, going hiking and camping on a mountain. You make it up halfway, steep inclines, tired, wore out, find a plateau, set up camp, and then you stay there. And then you never move. You just hit this plateau and then you feel stuck. And then you find yourself saying, man, there's got to be more. Well, there is if you'd keep climbing. But now that you've camped out on this plateau, you feel stuck. And when you feel stuck spiritually, you begin to ask all these questions like, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing the things I'm reading about in the Bible? You find yourself like Gideon. You're hiding from the enemy in the wine press, threshing wheat while you know, Israel's all hiding out in caves and a press. And then the angel shows up, calls him a man of valor and all the great things he's gonna do. He says, if that's true, where have you been? Where are all the great stories that we've heard about God because we're not seeing it? And the doubt and the lies creep in when you find yourself camped out on the plateau and not hungering, thirsting, and receiving the more that God has for you. God has more for you. He has more for me, and I'm as in desperate need for the more as you are. In fact, I press in for it all the time because of weakness and brokenness, because I realize without the more in my life, I'll retreat or I'll stop advancing forward, and in turn, I'll find myself doubting, questioning, and becoming lukewarm in my faith. Revelation 3.16 says that God wants you hot or hot. He says, because you're you're neither cold nor hot. You're lukewarm. I'll spew you out of my mouth. God wants you hot. And heat and power comes only from the Holy Spirit. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's a gift. Everybody say it's a gift. Let's say this way. Say he's a gift, he's a gift. because the Holy Spirit is a person. I'm going to explain that to you here in a moment. It's not some strange mystical by and by, you know, spirit that's an essence. He's not an essence. He's a person and that person does something for you and he's given to us as a gift from heaven. So we're in this heavenly series. In the last few weeks, I was talking about heavenly places and that you have access to the third heaven because you're seated at the right hand of God when you give your life to Christ because of the blood, because of the cross, because of his sacrifice, you have access and we're to live from that place. We're to affect earth from a heavenly perspective, amen? That means you have to see differently, think differently so that you can love differently. 
And that means that God gives you a new set of eyes, a new set of understanding. He causes you literally to understand the power and the authority that he's given you to overcome the cares and the struggles and the affairs of this world and every demonic thing that tries to distract you and hold you back. So God seats you there. You have access there. But God causes us to live in two places at the same time. So in order for me to function and live a normal life on earth, you need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your guidance counselor. He's the one that reveals truth to you. He's the one that arrays you for battle splendor. He's the one that puts himself into you to give you the tools and the equipping that you need to live the normal Christian life on earth. Now for me, normal may look different than a lot of people and it should for you. Normal to me is super normal, natural. It's preaching the gospel, it's loving well, it's walking in power, casting out demons, praying in other tongues, all the promises of the more that God gives us in the Bible. That's normal. But it's also having a normal marriage, it's having normal conversations, it's working hard, it's caring for your friends and family, it's raising your children right, it's taking care of your home and your, being a good steward of your finances. All that is a part of it as well. God comes in and gives you the ability to live a life that he wants you to live on earth that you can't do without him. People are filled with social anxiety, they're depressed, they don't know how to have normal conversations. We're worried about what other people think about us, man-pleasing spirits, you know, feeling insignificant. The truth is, is that our significance is only actually found in him. It's not apart from him. So more often than not, I don't feel significant. I feel weak. I feel broken. And that's by design. That's the tension, is that you can't do this without him. You're can't have fame and recognition and notoriety and any of those things in your own strength. And I don't even chase after those things. I chase after him. But he's the one that exalts you and equips you and strengthens you to live the life that you're called to live on earth. So you have access there by the blood and you have access here fully by the Holy Spirit. So Pentecost is this very special day. Many of you've heard me teach on it before. Some of you know a little bit about Pentecost, but I thought I would give you a little bit of history. Pentecost is celebrated at the same time that Moses gave the Ten Commandments, I'm sorry, that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on the stablets of stone on Mount Sinai. Same time, God would literally deliver the law and then institute what's known as an agricultural feast called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Firstfruits or the Feast of Bread. And Israel would bring their very best firstfruits of the crop with an attitude of gratitude to thank God for what was coming in the future. They would bring God their very best. And it would be celebrated at the time that God would have given his law to the Israelites on Mount Sinai. Now, why is that important? It's important because today, because of Pentecost, God writes his law on your heart and he puts his spirit inside of you. And God says, look, your first fruits, it's not about your bread or your money. It's about you giving yourself to him. So now I give myself as a sacrifice. You give yourself as an offering because in your best day, anything you would have to offer the Lord is feeble in comparison to the greatness of who he is. So God says, what I'm really looking for is your heart, your gratitude, your gratefulness, and your best when it comes to worship, intimacy, and seeking me first all the days of your life. And then he looks down from heaven and he says, I love you so much. I know you're trying. I know you're giving the best that you can. I know you're presenting yourself. But because I love you, I'm actually going to give myself to you as a first fruit. And I'm going to make you a first fruit. Some of you will be the first fruit to your family. Some of you, you will be the very first ones to be born again and break the generational curses passed down in your family line because you became a first fruit. Because Jesus put himself inside of you. And so in our weakness and in our brokenness, in our best attempt to give God, <coughs> to give back to God, he says, I love you. You are so weak and so broken. 
you cannot do this in your own strength. I'm going to give you a gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't work it up. All you can do is say yes and receive it. And when God gives you the gift of himself, it does something supernatural inside of your life. And that's what Pentecost was really about. It was about God putting himself inside of you. It was about God writing his laws on your heart. It was about God giving you the very best of himself to make you to be something that you're called to be on earth and to pass it down to the generations coming behind you. It's a powerful day. Penta means 50 or, or five in Greek. It's 50 days after Passover, seven weeks plus one day. God would say, go and wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power, Luke 24, 49. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven and he tells his disciples, I want you to go and wait. And in their waiting, they had expectancy. They were waiting for what's called a promise, a promise of the Holy Spirit. And that promise is a promise that all of us so desperately need activated in our life today. We can't do anything without him. And so I found myself like stagnant. I found myself not hungering for the word. I found myself camped out on a plateau on the side of the mountain. And I said, God, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said that there is more. There's so much more. One of our mottos here at Rock City Church is, because there's more. And every day God has more for you. Every single day God has more for you. But in order to step into the more, you have to be filled with the spirit. You have to be filled consistently all the time. You know, I liken my life to like a water balloon with a little pinhole in the bottom. And it's like, I always feel like I'm dripping out, but God's always pouring back in. If I position myself in worship, intimacy, the secret place, and in desperation. See, the devil wants you to be lukewarm. He wants you to be a bench warmer. He doesn't mind if you're on the team, just sit on the bench. Don't preach the gospel. Don't cast out demons. Don't lay hands on the sick. Don't pray in tongues. Don't be aggressive. You can be a nice Christian. Just sit on the bench. But God doesn't want nice Christians. He wants Christians that are filled with his spirit, that are walking in the fruit of the spirit, that are activated in the gifts of the spirit, that have power to bring life and healing and a demonstration of his love here on earth. That's what he wants. So God does something in you so that he can do something through you. He does something in you so that he can do something through you. And so I picked up my Bible and I started reading about fire and I loved fire. When I was following the Grateful Dead around the country, I would twirl glow sticks of fire, right? I'd go to raves and trip acid and swirl fire around. That's what I used to do. I fully believed in the spiritual world and the supernatural. The problem is I was tuned into the wrong channel, right? I was tapped into the wrong thing, thinking through drugs and the things of this world, I can attain enlightenment or be spiritual. Well, I was spiritual, but I was second heaven spiritual. I was in the darkness of spiritual versus the third heaven of what true life and true power really is. You've got to see this. And so I opened up my Bible. I'm just going to kind of go off the cuff here a little bit because I, I know this, this is, message is so important to me and I know the, the scriptures so profoundly on this topic. I want you to as well. In, Ma in John chapter three, verse 11, John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan River and he says, one who comes after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to tie, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and why? Why fire? Well, that's what I wanted to know. So I began to study it out. What did the fire represent? What did the fire mean? Here I was camped on the side of the mountain. I was lukewarm. Some of you are probably feeling that today. You came to the Lord, you had the joy of your salvation, you were hungry for the word and you did all your right religious duties and then all of a sudden you felt stuck. And God designs it that way because he doesn't want to leave you the same. He wants to see you get aggressive for the more that he has in store for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse one. Pursue love and earnestly desire the word earnestly desire is the word zeal. 
It's the word zealous. It means be on fire for the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Prophecy is the greatest gift to the church. The greatest gift to the church. Why? Because when you prophesy over someone, you build their lives, you edify them, you comfort them, and you bring direction. Instead of fortune telling like psychics do, you foretell. You bring revelation and insight and understanding and enlightenment to people's darkness because you're speaking God's word directly from the throne of heaven on earth. But prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit and you only get it by the Holy Spirit. Everything else is a psychic. They have an anointing from God, they're gifted from God, but they're using it for the wrong reasons. And so God wants us to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts that come from another place, that come from another place. So Moses would give the law and then he would inst- then God would institute the feast of weeks in Leviticus 23. And then he would set up the feast of first fruits where the priests would give a wave offering. The bread was called a wave offering. They would stand in front of the people and wave the bread in gratefulness and thankfulness to the Lord. And then that agricultural feast would become what we know as Pentecost, 50 days after Resurrection Sunday, 50 days after the Passover. On the 40th day, Jesus is being ascended to heaven And he says, just before he leaves in Luke 24, 49, wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from the promise of the Father. It's a promise. But he say, it's a promise. And that promise has a purpose. And so what does it mean to be endued? How many of you like to grill? Come on. Some of you are like the grill master. Imagine taking a great steak and marinating it overnight. The next day, the steak takes on the flavor of the marinade. The taste, the flavor, that's what it means to be endued. It's a soaking into a garment. It means to be fully clothed and fully arrayed with splendor for a purpose. And God wants to fully array you. You need more. I need more. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine. And you can fill in anything else you want there. Don't get high. Don't check out. Don't numb out, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled means to be fully furnished. It means you're lacking no good thing. It means you're always ready at all times. It means that you are crammed to max capacity. I liken it to my nine millimeter magazine. At some point, I can't get any more shells in there and I'm trying to push it in, but I can't get it in because the magazine is full. God fills you to max capacity. I liken it into a house that's fully furnished. When Jesus told the story about casting the strong man out of the house, it goes out and finds seven more demonic spirits that are more powerful than the first one, comes back and makes the house worse. And it found the house swept clean. So how could it go in and make the house worse if the house was swept clean? It was empty. It wasn't full. So God wants to fill you. He wants you to be intoxicating. That's why he likens the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit to drinking wine. They're both intoxicating. When you get in the spirit and you get immersed by God's love and power, it's like being drunk, except it's a thousand times better because there's no hangover. There's no hangover, but even more importantly, Both make you uninhibited, except one causes you to do really dumb things. (laughs) One causes you to really be stupid. But the other one causes you to walk in supernatural power and wisdom and to do something you might not have ever done in a way that only God could have done it. That's the beauty. So when the disciples were all filled, the 120 were filled with the Holy Spirit, and started praying in other tongues, when the sound from heaven came, they stumbled out into the street and people came from all over the city that were there for the feast because they had heard the sound that came from heaven. And when they stumbled out to the street, 
the people showed up and some were amazed, some were perplexed, some were astonished, but some of them mocked, saying that they were drunk with wine because of the sound, because of the language, and maybe because of the way that they acted, because they were beside themselves. And that's why God says, look, being filled with my spirit is way better than any drug or drink you'll ever take. I'm telling you. I shared with you guys, excuse me. I shared with you a few weeks back how I would go to Grateful Dead concerts. I'd eat mushrooms and trip acid. And I would think that I was shooting lightning bolts out of my fingertips. This is my story. But see, that was a counterfeit. Today, I can truly experience the pleasure and the life and the delight of God without acid, drugs, concerts, but the beauty and radiance of who he is because he transformed me on the inside. He changed my mind. He changed my heart. And now what I experience with the Lord is what I experience in worship for me is way better than anything I experienced at a rave or a concert or any drug that I've ever taken. Because everything that you see in this world is either a type and shadow or a counterfeit. And you have to be able to discern which is which. You can only do that with the Holy Spirit. You can only discern what's of God and what is a counterfeit. For example, getting drunk is a counterfeit. God has a real better thing than getting drunk. And it's intoxicating. It affects you. It brings freedom to you. That's why the Bible says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Ghost. But you're only gonna know this when you taste it. I can try to explain it to you all day long, and I'm gonna do my best to explain this to you. But until you taste it, you'll never see and you'll never understand. There is a heavenly gift that you must taste. Now, I can't make it happen for you, but I can tell you about it. I can help create a desire for it. I can tell you how I do it. But at some point, you're going to have to jump in the river and get wet. At some point, you're going to have to get out of ankle deep water and stop being a nice Sunday morning Christian. And you're going to have to get aggressive and say, God, I want it. Pursue love first, but earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. In Luke chapter 11, the whole kingdom of God is built on three premises, beloved, three premises. You know what it is? Ask, seek, and knock. It's constantly asking. It's constantly seeking. It's constantly knocking. You don't ever stop. And the minute that we shrink back and the minute that we find ourselves weak and broken, is the minute that we should find ourselves even more desperate than before. And there's this tension between living there and here. The tension is, in this world, you're going to have trouble. The tension is, you're going to deal with weakness and shortcomings and brokenness in your life. That's why God says, look, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of being buffeted, beat against your house, stay on the rock and trust in his sufficient grace. We're all gonna go through it. You're all gonna face the testing. You're all gonna face the suffering. You're all gonna face the trials. And God uses it by design. He uses it so that you can be so desperate, so vulnerable, so broken, everything opposite of what this world stands for. So that instead of running to drugs and alcohol and sex and porn and the things of this world, we run to him, and we cry out, God, I'm so desperate for you. So back to Luke 24, he wants to endue you with power. Now, the word power is such a powerful word. Here's why. It's power first to become. God gives you the power to become. You can't make yourself. 
God makes you. He makes you to be what he wants you to be. Now, I do a lot of awesome stuff. I've done a lot of awesome stuff. I consider it all lost compared to knowing him. The older I get into the second half of my life, I've come to the place where all the building and all the working and all the degrees and I have all that stuff, all the stuff I worked for, all the savings, all the foundations. Now, as I move later in my life, I realize what really matters the most. And what I realize matters the most to me isn't the same as what I once was chasing after. And God has this way of bringing you through suffering and hardship to a place of total dependency to say, I can't do this in my own strength. And the Lord's like, yeah, you're right. That's the tension. We say, God, deliver me out of my weakness. And God's like, no, I'm going to give you grace to overcome it. Ask for grace instead of deliverance out of it. Because once you see the grace and the power of God come into your weakness, it sets you free. Now I stop striving, I stop trying, I just trust. And I stay in the pocket of his love and I worship and I cry out and I spend time in his word and I love my children right and I love my wife right. And when I fall short and I make mistakes, which I do, you have the grace and the power of God and the Holy Spirit to see you through. You know, think about the promise from the father. The promise from the father came from Joel chapter two, verse 28 and 29. That's the promise of the father. About 800 years before Jesus came on the scene, Israel was in a horrible place. All the land was burned up. Adversaries were oppressing them on every side. Israel had given themselves to the same repetitive cyclical pattern. Here's what it was. It was idolatry. It was high place worship. It was harlotry, prostitution, lust, compromising the standards of God, not putting God first, becoming like the other nations. And in turn, the land was devastated and the nation was devastated. They were completely at their end. When God gives a promise of Joel 2, 28 and 29, and he says, it, will, it shall happen afterward. You know what afterward is? It's today. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So today's the afterward. Afterward, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh and your sons and daughters, maid servants, men servants will prophesy, see dreams or prophesy dream and have visions. Sadly, so much of the church doesn't even teach on prophecy, visions and dreams. I ask people all the time, do you dream? They're like, yeah, I think so. You remember what you dream? No, not really. It's not that important to me. Yet a third of the Bible came through dreams and visions. The Bible's full of prophecy. God wants you to value your dreams. Why? Because y'all love movies. You'll, we'll spend money on subscriptions and movie theaters and God gives a movie reel in your head every night. And if you'll pay attention to it and write it down and say, God, this is important to me, God will start to speak to you in dreams. That's why I interpret dreams. Do you know I got shut down at my, my first church when I came here teaching this? I talked about going to Renaissance fairs and festivals and New Age festivals and doing dream interpretation and reading tattoos. And I was talking about all this stuff and people were like, oh, that's New Age. And, and basically the pastor I was working for said, I don't want you to ever talk about dreams from the pulpit. It's New Age. I'm like, Really? I didn't know that Daniel and Joseph were New Agers <laughs> because they weren't, folks. The devil is a thief. It's a counterfeit. The, the New Age movement is a counterfeit of the real thing. I love interpreting dreams. Joseph was an incredible dream interpreter. So dreams, visions, and, and prophecy is a promise of the outpouring, is a result of the promise. So all of us should be seeing visions. All of us should be dreaming dreams. And if you're not and you're stuck on the plateau, get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Now, how that happens, God is the one that does it. Sometimes it happens at an altar call. Sometimes it happens through laying on of hands. You know why? Because some of us are so prideful that we're not gonna ever go up for an altar call and let somebody touch me. And God says, then I'm not gonna do it until you tear down your pride and let somebody invade your space. 
Laying on our hands is very biblical. Sometimes it happens in your car, in the bathroom, on walking on the beach. Jesus does the baptizing. What, is it, what matters the most to the Lord is that you are asking, knocking, and seeking for it. So back to Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, how many of you, if your son asks you for bread or a fish, would give him a stone, snake, or scorpion? He says, you wouldn't. So how many, so you being an earthly father that give good gifts, but are still evil in your heart, how much more will the father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? So I said, God, I need more of you. I'm crying out for you. Here's my sacrifice. Here's my bread wave offering. Here's my first fruit. Every day, first fruit, morning, evening, night. David cried out to the Lord seven times a day. That's because it's an attitude of worship, just like it's an attitude of forgiveness. You know how many times you're supposed to forgive in a day? Seven times 70. You know how often that is? Do the math. It's every 2.8 seconds. So you have 2.8 seconds to be upset, then get over it. Because <laughs> it's an attitude. The point is, it, it is an attitude of becoming. And that's what the Holy Spirit does, is when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it becomes inherent. It becomes imminent. Now he's in me, speaking to me from heaven into my heart and allowing me to love and live and lead according to his design. And it would be in my most broken times because we're broken. We're inadequate. We fall short. All of our righteousness is this filthy rags. You're only righteous because of him. Now, what he does inside of me causes me to live upright, but I can't do it without him. Like being content. What does it mean to be content? It means that you're fully equipped with everything that you need right now, but you don't feel like that half the time, do you? I want this new sanctuary built, but I'm content until God provides the resources to do it. And I have been for years. I'm not gonna stress about it. I'm not gonna worry about it. I'm not trying to push it. I'm not gonna try to make it happen. I'm ready for things to change. I think the church needs to shift. I think it's time for a shift for all of us. But you know what? As much as I want that, I remain content where I'm at. It doesn't mean I don't desire it, but I've learned to stay godly and content because it's only from those two places that great gain comes. First Timothy 6.6. 6. We all want great gain. We all want more. But that only comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. So God would make this promise in the days of Joel that he would give himself to us and we would dream. We would counter the hardship and the failure and our weakness with the supernatural. That's what I want you to see. The only way you're gonna overcome this is with supernatural activity in your life. And that comes from being intentional. The Bible says to fan into flame the gift that was given to you through the laying on of hands. What does it mean to fan into flame? Everybody say, stir it up. It's way better than the Bob Marley song. Stir it up, baby. Now, and how do you stir it up? Because listen, more often than not, I don't feel like stirring it up. It's just easy to just be, pull back and be nice. It's easy to say, it don't take all that. Let's say that. It don't take all, say it like you mean it. It don't take all that. But it does take all that. Why? Because my flesh wants to pull back. My flesh doesn't want to cry out. My flesh doesn't want to lift its hands. My flesh doesn't want to preach to the person next to me. I was on a flight two days ago. And I sat next to an Amish girl, long dress, had her hair in a bun. And as soon as we sat down, I said, hi. She said, hi, looked the other way, put her neck pillow on and dozed off. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna put my headphones on. I don't really wanna talk to her anyway. (laughs) I'm on a plane. I mean, come on guys, let's not be, let's not pretend. There's times that I'm really like, And then there's times I'm like, just give me my headphones and put some worship on. And that's the moment that I was in. 
And then God starts bugging me and prodding me and not leaving me alone. And I can't have my own moment. And he gives me a whole download for the girl. And I'm like, oh, man. She's going to think it's silly. I might look like a fool. I might not say it right. And God says that's exactly the design because it's in your foolishness and your weakness and you're not saying it right that I show myself strong. Because what you think that when you got, when you're in the perfect right place and you're, you feel good and your emotions are right and your mind's flamed on and all those things that that's the perfect time. And then we wait around and we pull back because we don't do it until we feel right. This isn't based on your personality or your feeling. Worship and crying out and being filled with the spirit and being equipped by the Holy Spirit comes because you're a sacrifice that's broken. There's no sacrifice without fire. Present yourself to God, a living sacrifice, Romans 12, one and two. We sing the song, I'll provide the sacrifice, he'll provide the fire. I need more fire in my life because I'm prone to be lukewarm. And so are you, 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 you. Every single one of us is prone to being lukewarm, aren't we? That's why God, he just says, look, come to me with a first fruit offering. Was it really about your little bread? He made the whole crop to begin with. It was more about the gratitude and the positioning of your heart, not bowing up, not pulling back. It's like, why is that worship so long? Why is it so loud? Why are they singing that way? Why are they dancing? Why are they lifting their hands? And we're more concerned from a critical standpoint what's happening here than what God wants to do there and bring from there into our heart. And he'll test you repeatedly. He'll constantly test you. He'll send psychic ladies to follow behind you and say, this is the man of God. Hear what he has to say. And then you go about two or three days thinking, man, She's right, but this isn't from God. Something's wrong. She's a distraction. Come out in Jesus' name. That only comes from the wisdom and the understanding of the Holy Spirit. You, we all need it. We all need his guidance, his truth, and his life. We all need the more. You know, I think of my life like a cup. You know, here's my camo coffee cup. It's got old coffee in it. It still smells good, though, but it's dirty. Now imagine when you give your life to the Lord, he washes it, pretend that it's washed. And then he fills you, okay? And then he seals you. And then he takes this out, picture anyway, takes you out 20 miles offshore and throws you into the sea. Now the cup's not just filled on the inside and sealed. It's immersed. The outside and all around it is completely taken on the characteristic and nature and the essence. There are born-again Christians that are sealed with the Holy Spirit, but not walking in the more. How can I prove that to you? When Jesus told the disciples to go wait in Jerusalem until they're endued with the power of the Holy Spirit... They had already been breathed into by Jesus and received the Holy Spirit. Were they followers of God? Were they disciples? Were they born again? Did they need more? Did they have to go wait and be endued with power, thrown into the sea? See, because God just doesn't want you just sealed on the inside for your salvation there. He wants you completely immersed to bring salvation to everyone around you. So that when you consume of the meat and the flesh of, when somebody consumes your life, they're consuming his life. You, all of us need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but then we need to stay full. Everybody say, stay full. Stay thirsty, my friends. He's better than a Dos Equis commercial. He's more than the most interesting man in the world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So your response should be, fill me, God. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit. 
I want good gifts in my life. And then God saturates you and rocks you and flips you upside down and takes an ordinary, weak, broken person like you that's maybe uneducated, that stutters, and probably denied Jesus multiple times. You know who that person was in the Bible? Peter. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come in Acts chapter two, and the 120 were in a prayer meeting, there was a sound from where? And a mighty rushing wind filled the room. The sound came from somewhere else and tongues of fire came on top of their head and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Tongues is the language of fire. Tongues appeared as fire because it's fire on the inside. And when you pray in tongues, it, it fans into flame. To fan into flame means to re-enkindle your mind. My mind needs re-enkindled. And that's why sometimes I got to dance. Sometimes I got to clap. Sometimes I got to shout. And sometimes I got to bow down on my face. And sometimes I need to cry. It doesn't matter what it looks like. What matters is that I'm fanning into flame and re-enkindling my mind because my mind wants to go dark and cold and be focused on the things of this world. But I need fresh fire every day, all the time. So God, fill me. Because if I'm not getting filled with him, I want to run to the wine bottle. Let's just be honest. Come on, y'all. It's dissatisfaction. So I'll find temporary satisfaction in a drug or a drink or the arms of another. Only the Holy Spirit can satisfy. And I realize in this day and age with technology and phones and billboards and TV and news and media and what the world's thinking, you have to be extra aggressive to push that away and to be intentional about the things of God. And few will pay the price. Will you? I'm saying it nicely. I'm preaching to my own self, just so that you know. God says, how aggressive are you willing to be? How insignificant? It's like, God, I, I feel so weak and insignificant. It's, yeah, that's by design. Because the world's all about being significant. And the more insignificant that I become, the more I decrease and bow low, and the more he increases and raises me up. Do you understand? So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all filled with the Spirit, and the whole town heard it. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, I want you to read. You can turn there in your Bible or your smartphone. In Acts 2, 33, Peter stands up, preaches this message to all those that came to hear what had happened. There's mockers, there's people amazed and perplexed. And here's what he says in Acts 2.33. He says, Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God where he received the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is now being poured out in which you see and hear. Everybody say, see and hear. See when the Holy Spirit moves, there's always a seeing and there's always a which is your spiritual senses being exercised. So the people were rocked. The whole city, imagine the sound that occurred that would cause people from all over the city to come check it out. Think about it for a moment. That sound must have been a sonic boom. I, don't, I mean, it had to be something to get everybody to stop what they were doing and come and see. And, he, and God would bring disciples, 120 people stumble out of the upper room looking like they're drunk in wine they would look foolish. But while they're being foolish, they're praying languages of the other nations. Then Peter stands up with power, preaches and says, what you're seeing and hearing is an outpouring of a promise that came from Jesus, whom you crucified, by the way, right? In Acts chapter 10, we get the story of Cornelius. This is an awesome story. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, who was of the Italian regiment, who was a soldier, uh, a, a, a leader of a garrison with the Roman army in Acts chapter 10, he gets a vision, sends a delegation to Jaffa where Peter is on top of the house praying, who also gets a vision 
of a sheet rolled down with animals on it. And the delegates say, hey, we're here to take you back to Cornelius' house. And Peter's like, yeah, you're Gentiles. I'm not supposed to go there, but I just saw this sheet with animals on it. Okay, I'm gonna go. So he goes and he preaches the gospel. While he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on the people, Acts 10, and they all began to pray in tongues and prophesy. Okay, picture the picture. And this is what the Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 44 and 45. When those of the circumcision, these were the Messianic Jews that were traveling with Peter, saw and heard what was happening to the Gentiles when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, they were astonished. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, when the Holy Spirit manifests himself, everybody profits. Everybody profits when the Holy Spirit manifests. I just need to get the Holy Spirit manifesting out of you because there's a mutual benefiting. Now we're each giving life to each other because you're tapped in and moving in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. What's manifestation mean? It's a revealing, it's an exhibit. I think about the knife guy at Sam's Club or Costco or the pot and pan guy. He's demonstrating how good they are to get me to buy it. God reveals and demonstrates how good he is through the supernatural power of God so that you can see and experience and hear and in turn buy in by exchanging your life to what he has to offer for you. So when the Holy Spirit manifests himself, we're all profiting. It's a powerful word. Think about the opposite of profit. You profit when the Holy Spirit rocks your world. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you profit. The opposite of profit means to be in lack. It means to be in debt. It means to have a need. It means that you need resources bad. It means that God is gonna give provision to you in your most broken, weakest, desperate state. It means you need help. He's gonna give you a gift that's gonna profit your life. You just gotta let him manifest. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but you don't get to predetermine what it's gonna look like. Think about it. We, we make predeterminations to say how we're going to worship, the type of worship that we like. Many people are like, oh, I don't have the gift of tongues. He just hadn't given it to me. It doesn't work like that. God wants everybody to pray in tongues. Let me ask you a question. How many people were in the upper room? 120. How many were filled with the Holy Spirit? 120. How many prayed with tongue, in tongues? 120. God gives you a personal prayer language that has a purpose. You should all be praying in tongues. Paul said it. I wish all y'all prayed in tongues. He didn't say it quite like that. He just said, I wish you all prayed in tongues as I did. Because when you pray in an unknown tongue, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, you're not praying to men. No one understands you but you're praying the mysteries of God, verse four. And when you pray the mysteries of God, it builds you up. You know, the word edify, I can paraphrase it to mean feel good. You're edify, man, you're making me feel so good. You're building me up, edify. So when we're not getting edified by the things of God and by the Holy Spirit, which comes from praying in tongues and intimacy, we go to get edified somewhere else. I just wanna feel good, I'm just tired. Click TV, click computer. And then we chase after the things of this world because there's no fire, there's no passion, and we're lukewarm. We're camped out on the side of the mountain. So when I read uh, Matthew 3.16 and I read all these scriptures, Acts 1.5, you'll be filled with the Holy, wait until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, at all the ends. I read Acts 10 about seeing and hearing. When I read all that stuff, I said, I want it. And we had some Gideons that were coming in to prison where I was and they were holding Bible studies. And I asked one of them, I said, hey, What's this thing about fire and the Holy Spirit? He goes, oh, that's the second baptism. Meet us at chapel and we'll pray for you. So I go to chapel. 
I'm standing in a circle. They're all laying hands on me. I start sweating. I see balls of fire in my head. And next thing I know, out comes a river from my belly and I start praying in another tongue. And somebody's like, it's gotta be God. It's gotta be God. It's gotta be God. Listen, God's gonna do it any way he wants to do it. You just gotta say yes to it. Picture your chin and your mouth like a dam. So you got a river, but your dam's holding it back. You're like, oh God, God's not gonna grab your chin and go blah, 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 blah. It's mechanical and obedient. He puts it on the inside. You just open up the dam to let it come out. And once you practice it and you do it and you hear it, listen, this is not so mystical. God's trying to rock your intellectual mind and make you like a child to give you a secret code language from heaven and equip you with battle splendor. Some of y'all got belts on, but you got no tools. And what's your situation right now? Let me ask you a question. What is your situation? What's your question? What are you facing? You can't even be married without the Holy Spirit. I'm just telling you right now. (laughs) Am I right? Now everybody say, God's got a tool for that. God's got a tool for that. Let's say it again. God's got a tool for that. A tool for, so what does he do is he gives you tools. And those tools look like a lot of different things. It's, the Bible calls it, manifold wisdom. It means a lot of different ways and a lot of different outlets and a lot of different understandings. But God's got a tool for that. So when you give your life to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus, and you get filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens? God gives you wisdom and insight and power and understanding to stop living the same, to make the change, be born again, be on fire, and stop living lukewarm and chasing after the things of this world. Then when hardship and trouble comes, he gives you supernatural power to overcome it. And everything's a test and everything's a trial. And you're gonna come to those places where you feel camped out on the mountain. You know how many times I feel stuck on the side of the mountain and camped out? About every day. So every day I counter that by crying out in worship and intimacy. I sacrifice more meetings and more things for quiet time, which really isn't so quiet, but I'm talking about time with the Lord, worship, intimacy, sitting by the water, sitting in my prayer closet, because you won't even be effective to do what you're called to do if you're not immersed and saturated and filled with the Holy Spirit. It's that magazine. It's your house fully furnished. It's a tool for every situation that you need. Now, you can't think it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. Everybody say, it's a gift. gift. I just love, there's so much to this message. Let me tell you a really awesome thing I've never taught on. I'm gonna tell you about it now. In Hebrews chapter six, verses four through six, we get five things that can happen in a person's life. And if you have these five things that happen in your life and you basically fall into apostasy. You know what apostasy is? It's renouncing your faith and abandoning what you once believed. The problem with renouncing and abandoning your faith is is if you've tasted those five things, it's impossible for you to be renewed again to repentance, the Bible says. Now, some of you are like, don't even know what I'm talking about. Just hear what I have to say. It's impossible for those who were once enlightened, number one. What does it mean to be enlightened? My eyes were open. I was deceived. I was chasing after the things of this world. I was letting my flesh rule me. I was worried and fear, all the things. But now my eyes are open and now I'm trusting and I'm not being ruled by my flesh and I'm not living in fear and worried the way that I once was. I'm not the person that I used to be. My eyes are open and now I can see you once were lost, but now you're found. You once were blind, but now you, it's an enlightenment, okay? The second thing is those that have tasted the heavenly gift. You know what it means to taste? Tasting is such a powerful word. Tasting, think of the scripture, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. When I taste it, I perceive it and I receive the value from it. Think nutritional value. Think an understanding. You don't know how good something is until you, I can tell you all day long how good hot, fresh lobster is that you just ripped its head off while you were free diving at 15 feet in the Bahamas and you came to the top and threw the tail in the boat and then the person in the boat put it into a hot 
boiling water with melted butter. And then when you get out shivering cold at sunset and they hand you a plate of hot lobster that you dip in beautiful melted butter, are you getting my point? We're there. You guys are like, we're going for lobster right after this. I don't care where I go. Red lobster, here we come. But the thing is, I can only try to explain it to you until you taste it. I can only explain to you what cutting a fresh filet of fish right off the fish out on the water and putting it on the grill and then it vibrates because the nerves are still alive. It's so fresh. And then when you eat it, it melts in your mouth. Some of you is like, that's never happened to me. This is the way it is with the Holy Spirit. I'm not buying lunch, no. You know what my point in telling you that is, right? You're only going to know until you taste it. Some of your best cooks, man, you should taste my King Ranch chicken. I'm sorry, I'm going to stop talking about food. It's almost lunchtime. I get it. I've been going, this is my second service. Trust me, I'm thinking about lunch. But I'm more hungry for the things of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The filling is a constant. It's not a one-time thing. But some of you have never had the experience. Let's say this together. Say, a man with an experience is never subject to a man with an explanation. I can explain to you all day long how good that lobster and fish was, but you still aren't going to know until you have the experience. People say to me all the time, I just haven't had that experience of praying in tongues and whatever. Look, back in the day, in old-time Pentecostal churches, when you would get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you had to pray in tongues or you didn't receive the gift of the baptism. I don't believe that. I believe you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and not pray in tongues in that moment. You know why? Because we let all kinds of stuff get in the way. Fear, worry, what other people think. Sometimes it's gonna happen right there and sometimes it's gonna happen in your car, in your bathroom or walking on the beach. The point is, is it doesn't matter. I know many people that have had an encounter, but for whatever reason, their prayer language couldn't come out. This is why we take all the pressure off. You can't live without being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's better than anything this world has to offer. It's better than me being at a concert, tripping on acid, shooting lightning bolts out of my fingertips. That was a counterfeit. Now, I said this recently, I look at a man with fire in his eyes whose countenance is lightning. His name's Jesus. If you want visions and signs and wonders and miracles and supernatural and seeing, you've got to surrender and submit yourself to the supernatural power of God. You can't overcome addiction, alcohol. You can't do anything effectively. Everything else is behavior modification. You can go to NA and AA all the days of your life and I'm not against it. But I'm going to tell you right now, Without the Holy Spirit transforming you in the inside, you're doing steps from behavior modification. You always have to, that's why I have Troy. Because Troy knows NANAA and now brings the power of the Holy Spirit behind it. Filled with the Spirit, equips with the Spirit, brings deliverance, brings healing, and brings the one true deliverer. And a lot of times it's gonna start with behavior modification like NANAA. Prison was my thing. So I was behavior modified. That was how I had to get transformed, but you don't have to. So I'm gonna close with this. The five things. Once enlightened, taste the heavenly gift, partakers. You know what it means to be a partaker of the Holy Spirit? Think shareholder, think partner, think stakeholder. I'm gonna let you partake with everything that I have to offer. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And I've tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. They were enlightened, they tasted, they partook, they tasted the word of God, they tasted the powers of the age to come, they fell into apostasy. And now what's happened is they've literally put Christ to an open shame and dishonor. 
and they've re-crucified Jesus. But what I wanna say to you about that is God makes it so hard that I don't even know that I know that somebody that's walked in all five things and actually fully fell into apostasy. I'm sure that they're out there, but it's only up to God to make that decision if they can ever come back or not. The most important thing is that you get Jesus. I don't even chase after the five things, I chase after him. The problem is people that chase after the miraculous and the signs and wonders often get led astray because they weren't chasing after Jesus's heart. Chase after his heart and you get his hand. Stop chasing after his hand. Chase after his heart and you'll get his hand. You'll get his spirit, you'll get power, you'll get equipped, you'll get arrayed with battle splendor to do everything that God's called you to do. It's not based on feeling. It's not based on emotion. It's based on the goodness and the kindness and the power of God that does something in you to accomplish something outside of you. The tools and gifts that God gives you, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, tongue, diversity of tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracle working, signs and wonders and miracles, all those come from the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I need all those activated in my life every day and so do you. You've gotta have it. You won't be able to navigate the hardship and the troubles of this world. So this is a baptism that you need. This is a baptism that we need every day. And all you have to do is say, yes, it's a gift. All you have to do is receive it. And when the disciples who were weak, broken, who had been hiding, there'd been no ministry, there'd been no preaching, there'd been no miracles. When they got filled with the spirit, they moved in a power like had never been seen before. And I want that power. How about you? And that power is gonna give you an ability to do everything God's called you to do here on earth as it is in heaven. So my prayer is God fill me with the Holy Spirit. My prayer is Lord baptize me again. My prayer is, Lord, I don't wanna fall into behavior modification. I don't wanna run back to drugs. I don't wanna run back to alcohol. I don't wanna have an affair. I don't wanna live anything less than what you have. I wanna see, I wanna walk in the power of God for everyone around me, but that means I have to be filled every day. And that's the power of Pentecost. It comes from presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. And that's what we're gonna do right now. Let's all stand. I'd like to ask my prayer partners and my ministry team to come up, please. And let's just close our eyes for a moment. This is a gift. He is a gift. The person of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit is a gift. And it's a promise to every generation. It's a promise for you and your children and all those who are far off. So now, Lord, I ask that you would fill all of us afresh and anew, that our hearts would be desperate for you Lord, I ask that you would baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire to burn out the things inside of us that aren't of you and to make us more like you in everything we're called to do. God, I thank you for men that are on fire. All of the men, all you men that are here, filled with the Spirit, filled with his presence, filled with the gifts, filled with tools, a tool belt, for every situation that you encounter. Now, I just want you to picture, I shared this last room, I'll share it again. Just keep your eyes closed. Picture yourself standing on a tarmac on a runway. You're standing out in the middle of a tarmac and here comes a jet plane. 
lands on the tarmac and pulls up to you. And the door gets let down, a private jet plane, the door gets let down, and out comes your father. But this is your father the way he was always meant to be. I don't know how your dad was, but picture your dad fully restored, fully renewed, fully healed. And as you walk up to the plane, he jumps out, gives you a hug, and then he starts giving you presents. The plane's full of presents. The plane is stuffed with toys and gifts. Picture yourself younger, maybe as a child or young adult, and your dad's loving you and he's giving you gifts. This is a dream that I had once, and God showed me that my father was like the heavenly father, and your father represents the heavenly father giving you gifts. because he loves you and he cares for you. So Lord, I thank you that you give good gifts to men. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit that equips us, that fills us, that strengthens us. I thank you, Lord, for your life and your love, your fire and your power to be witnesses here and all over the world. Thank you, God, for showing up and bringing good gifts through your spirit. If anybody today wants to give your life to the Lord, or maybe you've walked away from God, or maybe you need a fresh infilling, maybe you've been stuck on that plateau, we'd love to pray for you today. Let one of these prayer partners lay hands on you let them invade your space and stand together with you for what Jesus wants to do in your life and what the Holy Spirit wants to give you. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, make your way up to the front. If you'd like to kneel at the front, you're welcome to do that. And Lord, I thank you, God, for creating a hunger and thirst inside of us for more of you. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your love and your power and equip us for what lies ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.